This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Oh, it's a wonderful, beautiful Saturday morning. Welcome, everyone, to Under the Dome with CD. Your must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Hopefully you're having a good one so far. And if you've been outside today, you know it is a good one today. It's absolutely the right weather. It feels like fall, which means it feels like football season. Oh, my brother, testify. Cannot wait for this weekend. Obviously, we got the Cajuns, Georgia State. They just kick-started their contest. The 19th-ranked Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Let me add that in there. I'm going to keep saying 19th-ranked as long as I can. That'll be going into next week if the Cajuns get the win here. They should. They should. Cajuns going to be starting off on the defensive side of the football. But there's a lot of other things to get to on this program today. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself. Beautiful people all out in Acadiana. And across this great country of ours, the United States of America, on a Saturday morning, a Louisiana Saturday morning. And of course, as always, we're coming to you live from the beautiful palatial 1037 The Game Studios. And baby, we are looking good on a Louisiana Saturday morning. It's beautiful outside. I'm sure you're out there enjoying it. Hopefully, you're making it a great one. And more importantly, you keep it locked right here. Nothing but great sports talk over the next two hours. And we appreciate you listening and however you're doing. So be it through the Tower of Power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. That's what we're going to get today, Daddy, with the FM dial. Or better yet, through the free mobile app. Be it you have it through, you know, iPhone, Android, or even your smart speakers. Because it's 2020. Everybody has a smart speaker these days. Just tell your Amazon Alexa, your Google Home, whatever smart device you have, and tell it to play 103.7 The Game. It is just that simple. And tell a friend, tell a grandma, tell a wrestler, tell them to listen in to Under the Dome with CD each and every Saturday morning from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. But enough about the preamble. It's time to get down to what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. I feel pretty darn good about this one. It is your Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. When it comes down to it, the biggest story over the last week is college football. It looks to be back in its almost full form. Not quite, you know, I'd say if we were going to go into Dragon Ball Z terms like I did a few weeks ago with our guy Ross Jackson it hasn't reached its final form yet. It hasn't reached the perfect cell, if you will. We're going to go towards another Dragon Ball Z saga. But it's still an absolute mess right now. We talked about this several weeks ago. Whenever the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC decided to set the standard with the game plan for the 2020 season. And we saw the Big 10 and the Pac-12 show they have no marbles and just go ahead and pack it in and go home. 
That wasn't the case. That was not where 2020 needed to be. But again, we stand here before you almost a month later. A little more than a month later, actually. August, September 19th, August 11th was when that big news came down for the Big Ten. And the Pac-12 was like a bandwagoning Lakers fan right now. And they're all in on them. Trust me. I'll talk about those Lakers a little bit later on in the show. But we're seeing those big boys start to come back. The Big 12 last week, mind you, definitely the Big 12. Wish they didn't come back. Especially with the fact losing three games against Sun Belt Conference programs. But then, you know, we go back to it. Wednesday morning, the Big 10 debacle decides that they're going to go ahead and start their season. They're ready to play again after seeing all the fun that the rest of the world is having playing football. They're ready to play again. After they saw the NFL, two weeks of college football, really just one week of really, really good football. Meanwhile, you had a bunch of other stuff that maybe not necessarily was up to par. But last weekend was probably the official beginning of the 2020 season in a lot of people's minds, especially here in the South, especially here in Louisiana with the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns getting that big dub over Iowa State. But, you know, it was crawfishing as it ever was. The big wigs of the Big Ten are a lot like that little brother that sees how much fun his big brother is having with all of his buddies, all of his partners, and wants to hang out with them. This was crawfishing if there ever was an opportunity to crawfish. Hell, Kevin Warren looked like he was moonwalking out of that situation and doubling back trying to say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and reverse this decision. Whenever he could have just said, hey, stick with your guns. And what he can did on Wednesday and continued to do before I got on the air today was disgusting as all get out for me. Because, again, he just is continuing. He's going to be grandstanding like no other, saying, hey, I made the right decision. I made the right decision. And then go ahead and unveil your whole Saturday, your whole schedule for the 2020 season on Fox. Yes, you have the right to do that. You have every right to do that. But at the end of the day, it's almost deplorable the fact that you continue to stroke that massive ego of yours and the massive ego that the Big Ten has to say, hey, we're gonna we're doing the right thing. And another thing is the fact that this should have this would have all been solved if the NCAA stepped in. One thing that has been swept under the rug over the last week with all the conversation about what's happened with week one of the NFL, college football, the SEC getting geared up, ready to go, is the fact that the NCAA announced earlier this week that the college basketball season is going to be starting on November 25th. Yes, it means fewer games but they were somehow able to get all parties to agree with this. Why in the world, in the year 2020, can we not have an agreement? Can we not have one single solitary agreement on anything? But somehow, someway, college basketball is able to agree to play all at the same time. Everybody's all in towards a schedule starting on November 25th. Now, mind you, they have more time to figure all these things out. But when it comes down to it, why couldn't we have seen college football do the same thing? I've been thinking about this for weeks, you know. You decide to let everybody go into business with yourselves, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 act like a petulant child because they don't want to do they don't want to make a decision. They're just gonna go ahead and cancel the season, push it back to the spring, and move on. Whatever they could have just had a whole conversation with everybody. Said, hey, we're gonna start on September 26th. We're gonna push the season back a few weeks. And if we need to push it back any further, we will let you know well ahead of time so we can figure out how we're going to schedule this whole thing. It continues to be an embarrassment 
what's going on with the NCAA, what the hell is going on over at Mark Emmert's office. He could have just said, hey, you know, again, just push the season back to September 26th or whatever date you would have, you, know, you all would have agreed on and left it at that. But the fact that he didn't try and – the fact these big moneymakers united to play and they didn't do that, they decided to go into business for themselves and we continue to stand here not seeing the premier college football. Yeah, we're seeing some really good games, don't get me wrong, but we could be seeing a lot more really high-quality HQ ball games all weekend long. But we're still standing here with the fact that the Big Ten – the Mac is probably going to return pretty soon, which I'm happy about. Don't get me wrong. But it feels like everybody who was relative to, he's like a Billy Napier and Sean Payton term you hear all the time on Acadia Sports Station. You look at what the Big Ten did, the Mac wants to follow suit. The Pac-12 wants to follow suit because they're so tied to the hip. It's almost like a Siamese twin type situation where they're both using the same brain, they're conjoined somehow, some way. And they could have just said, hey, you know what? We're going to go ahead and punt the season and move it back to a later date. But in 2020, we're sitting here wondering, what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning? Why am I so frustrated? It's because it reminds me a lot of the MLB thing I've complained about for weeks. They could have gotten a deal together with all the conferences and set up a task force to make sure these players are safe and you can do this for all the right reasons, and more importantly, for the greater good. It's another example of why there needs to be a czar of college football. I've talked about it for weeks. No one man can truly control all of collegiate sports and be able to have that thing running like a smooth operation. Clearly, Mark Emmert is unfit to take that role as the czar of college football. He doesn't have the waybos to do what is the right thing for the greater damn good and make sure everybody's playing all at the same time what is going on. Find a person who can re- create uniform control amongst all these teams and conferences so that the cash cow doesn't look like a disjointed mess going forward if in the event you have another virus like COVID-19 or anything else that could wind up causing the season to be delayed, postponed, canceled, whatever. There just needs to be more of a concerted effort to make sure all these guys are all in the same boat. You can't have conferences going into businesses for themselves, and it really shows why the NCAA is in the damn shape it's in because of stuff like this. I am tired of complaining about the NCAA. I'm loving the fact we have college football in our lives. I love the fact that we have 11 a.m. kickoff with the Cajuns and Georgia State. You've got Tulane taking on Navy right now. you got so many great games on tap. I love it. But I wish I had more. Maybe I'm just being greedy as all get out. But I got to say, this is something that's been frustrating me for months. Is the fact that we continue, we continue to hear people complain about the fact that, you know, they're playing, period. They're playing, period. Hell, don't even get me started on Christine Brennan and her column about the Big Ten. This That being the darkest day in the history of Big Ten football. Get the hell out of here with that take. It is so bad. I think Old Takes Exposed didn't even want to touch that with a 20, 30-foot pull. Something like Mondu Duplantis would use to jump over stuff. Nobody wants to see that kind of stuff in 2020. But we're continuing to hear these conversations be brought up. But at the end of the day, we love college football. 
But I'm kind of getting tired of the whole situation with the NCAA, these group, these Power Five conferences that are, are thinking they're holier than thou, holier than thou. That's what I feel like when you look at you know the Big Ten and the Pac-12. They are the guys who want to act like they know more than the people down here. Here's the thing. We all are learning at the same pace. If you if you got smart people up in the north, you better get some very smart people up in the south. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is, but they continue to perpetuate those stereotypes. People laughed at Coach O because of his accent, but he's probably a hell of a lot smarter than a guy like Jim Harbaugh who probably can't coach away of his paper bag whenever he's playing the damn Michigan Wolverines. He can't do a damn – he's coaching the Michigan Wolverines against Ohio State. He can never – beat Ohio State. He can never beat them, and it's absolutely hysterical every time I see it. Coach O, it took him a few years, but he finally got the Nick Saban monkey off his back. It's been several years, at least five, six years, since Jim Harbaugh took over, but he wants to say he wants to play. Guess what? We're going to continue to see some other things going down, so hopefully we can have a great rest for our Saturday. I'm going to calm down. He's got a great show for you coming up tonight. I usually try and have this opening segment be the point where I really vent and complain and argue about a lot of different things. That being said, this is going to be a very, very fun episode of Under the Dome with CD. Of course, we're going to have on Steve Lassen at 11.30. Going to talk a little bit about the world of college football in a more good light. We're going to more talk about the actual games going on. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the Big 12, or the Big 10, excuse me, what happened last week and with all the Big 10 teams squaring off. We'll also have Ross Jackson on at 12.30. And we'll talk about what's going on with those Saints. Recap that game last Sunday against the Bucks. What he noticed. Michael Thomas. Who's going to step up in his place. And a whole lot more. So make sure you're listening over the next two hours. A lot of great things to talk about. And also some live updates on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Because we've got tons of football going on. And I'll talk about it all. When we come back, but I'm more importantly going to talk about next what happened on Thursday night football. And I think the fans of the Bengals and Joe Burrow need to have just a little bit of patience. I was saying this months ago that I think his rookie year is going to have its ups and downs, but it's looking like it's a lot more ups. Just the rest of the team around him kind of sucks. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 1037thegame.com. It's a beautiful Saturday. So make sure you turn, you roll down your windows, turn up the radio. Make sure everybody's hearing what's going on on Under the Dome with CD. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up, man. I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. What a wonderful Saturday morning it is because... Not only do I have one game to kind of keep tabs on involving a Louisiana team, I got two of them right now. I got two for two. It's the Tulane Green Wave ticket on Navy. I've got that going on behind me. I've got on the second laptop here inside the beautiful 103.7 Game Studios, Cajuns, 
Georgia State. I'm trying not to say Iowa State. I'm still living in the afterglow of what happened last Saturday. I was hoping that'd be a rerun. But honestly, it's been a fun ball game, but not necessarily the high-scoring game we maybe expected early on in the contest. So far, all of the drives so far have resulted in punts. But just before we came back from break, Percy Butler has, like, the Jets. I'm not going to lie. The dude's got absolute, like, monstrous speed. He just gets after it on the punt return game. It was amazing to see, you know, Reese Burns punts a really nice ball all the way to Georgia State 19, and then Terrence Dixon tries to return it, but he is immediately met, and he pops up the, he up the football. They do recover it, but still, you're going to be down at the 16-yard line. That was absolutely huge special teams play, but that's business as, as, business as usual Excuse me for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who have just been like a lot of, like, over the years, specialized in a lot of special, like great special teams plays. Not just in the punt returns, but I say block kicks, block punts. They've been able to do that really well, especially during like the Ricky Bustle era and early on in the Hudspeth era. I wish they would want to be more used to that a lot more, but you know it is what it is. Meanwhile, you got the two-lane green wave up 7-0 right now against Navy with a 7.59 left in the first quarter. Like I said, there's so much great, like, Football going on, especially amongst the ranks of like college football, it's absolutely amazing. Louisiana is living it up right now. Meanwhile, if you're a Bengals fan, you're not necessarily living it up. 0-2 to start the season, and you had two really tough losses to start things off. I think the biggest one, first off, was what happened on Sunday afternoon. Losing to the Los Angeles Chargers, losing to Tara Taylor, And the Los Angeles Chargers, Joe Burrow got his first touchdown, but it was on the ground, not through the air. And he looked good. He had, like, spots of greatness. But, of course, it was that final drive. He put together probably the best two-minute drill I've seen from a rookie quarterback in a long, long time. He looked so damn good. I was blown away by everything that he did in those final, like, two or three minutes of the ball game. Being able to put together a really good drive that I think most rookie quarterbacks would not be able to handle that kind of situation. He treated him, he was very much looking like a veteran. So I love the fact that he looked so damn good in that contest late, but an OPI and then a missed field goal. Dude shanked it from about 30 yards, and now I'm starting to realize maybe he did fake it. Maybe he did kind of oversell. And right now, wow, that was a pretty decent run right there for Georgia State. I think that might have been, yeah, that was about. Cornelius Brown, the quarterback, freshman, getting it done, a little triple option offense that Georgia State brings to the table. But going back to the game last night, for or Thursday night, I should say, for the Cincinnati Bengals, they got behind the eight ball early. It was 14-3 whenever I finally left the studios on Thursday night. And I was blown away by the fact that it was that like one-sided of a game to start. I thought this would have been a lot more competitive. I thought maybe you would have seen a lot better of a performance from Joe Burrow. I, in fact, said I was picking the Cincinnati Bengals to get it done. I thought they had every chance to do that. But again, the Bengals proved that I have little, there's zero faith to what's going on for the for that program. What's going on with this team? But I think you need to kind of cool the Jets a little bit because I saw a lot of people who were upset and obviously so but the billion dollar question is what's going on involving the Cincinnati Bengals and what's going on with Joe Burrow 
Joe Burrow threw over 60 pass attempts, which was way too much in my book, but it should have been a different situation. There should have been a lot more just conversation about what's going on involving the rest of the team. The offensive line is trash, and you just lost one of your tight ends for the year due to an Achilles injury. Now the Bengals are sitting there 0-2, and somebody brought this up about potentially quote-unquote redshirting him. That's not going to happen. It's not like a situation with Ben Simmons when it comes to what's going on with the NFL. It's not like the NBA a couple years ago when Ben Simmons basically took a redshirt in the NBA then came back and won Rookie of the Year. He's not injured like Tua Tungavilloa is. If Tua wound up getting the redshirt, I think he'd be perfectly fine. This is a year where it's unlike any other, quite literally, where rookie quarterbacks are going to have to kind of be at a different level. They're going to have to relax, kind of slow it, have the game come to them first. This is something I talked about a lot heading into the season with Joe Burrow. And I hope everybody realizes that I want to see Joe Burrow succeed unlike any other. By the way, the Cajuns took the ball over. Percy Butler falling on the fumble that was forced by Pescado. Or I, I can never remember how to pronounce his name. But anyway, so the Cajuns have the ball with about seven minutes left in the ball game, and they're controlling this contest after that big play. Going to have to pull this up to see what exactly happened. It was a fumble recovery. Chauncey Manak forced the fumble, and then Percy Butler recovered it. I thought it was Pescado. I, I can't even remember how to pronounce his name. I don't know why. But anyways, back to the Bengals for a minute, because the Cajuns are driving right now. I'm going to kind of try and give you updates here and there. But when it comes down to it, I got to say, looking forward to seeing what Joe Burrow does more so in year two versus what he does in year number one. And a big reason why is because of what happened with him at LSU. I think can't I think you know you'll get Joe Burrow and what he was able to do at LSU his first year, he was still trying to figure out that offense. And you know, he hadn't played in an actual game with live bullets flying in a long time. Because he had only been playing like with Ohio State for a while. And it's a whole different ball game compared to what you see with SEC football and defenses and all that stuff. He struggled at times. He is a damn good player. But it took him some time to figure out how to play the game the way that he had been before. I think Joe Burrow fans and Bengals fans need to have a little bit of patience with Burrow because of the fact that you know you're going to have to step your game up and prove to a lot of people that you are what they say you are. Especially in Ohio, his home state. He's having to go back and play for his hometown, not his hometown team, but relatively speaking, close to Cincinnati, Ohio, and going to have to be the guy for that franchise. But I think it's going to take a little bit. Once the game slows down for him, watch out. This is a big reason why I said Clyde Edwards-Alaire is winning rookie of the offensive rookie of the year. Because I don't think that he's gonna that Joe Burrow is gonna win Rookie of the Year in any way because right here right now he had a one hell of a performance on Thursday Night Football, but he still got some learning to do and the win loss record is going to be the biggest thing that keeps him away from that Rookie of the Year record. I could probably say you know 
the Bengals are about a 6-10, and 7-9 team at the absolute best this year. You work in the draft and be able to figure out how to build a good offensive line, there's every chance that you're going to wind up being a 10-6, and 11-5 team, and maybe in a couple of years you start taking control of that AFC North, especially if Ben Roethlisberger is out of the league in a couple of years, which seems to be expected. All right, we take a quick timeout, come back. We're going to talk with Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, about what's going on later today involving like college football, also maybe a little LSU football as well as we get closer to the start of their season, which will be next Saturday, 2 o'clock kick, 2.30 kick, excuse me, between LSU and Mississippi State. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. Until then, back after this with more Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. No doubt in my mind, everybody's want to talk about what's going on, and justifiably so, with the Raging Cajuns. We'll talk about that in a whole lot more. Obviously not what's going on with the game right here, right now, but we go to the Twin Peaks hotline, talk with the guy Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. Steve, one, how great is it about the fact that we are three weeks into the season and we're not even to kind of the main event of everything with the SEC coming up? And now the Big Ten's back. Hey, Clint. It's always good to talk to you. And, uh, you know, the emotions of a college football fan this year from no season to kind of the diet version of college football with, you know, 50, 70 teams trying to play a season to, oh, yeah, now everybody's going to try and play, and here we are. So uh, it's exciting. It's just great to have college football back. And whatever form we can get it this year, I will take it. I think that's definitely the mentality I think a lot of us had to kind of take with all this because there's so much just, like, uncertainty about all this. And I think a lot of it has to do with something that we've talked about in the past is there's no uniformity with this. Now, mind you, when you look at college basketball, they were able to secure a deal to start this thing closer to Thanksgiving weekend. They basically take a couple games off, and they want to come up, come up with an agreement, a universal agreement, why weren't we able to get that kind of universal agreement to where, let's say, this time next week, all the conferences could play in September instead of, oh, hey, you know, go your own way. Everybody was going into business for themselves. It's a great question. I think the, the biggest thing with this is college football has always been a regional sport, and you see that show up, you know, the SEC chant. Uh, you know, the Big Ten always wants to beat the SEC. Um, you know, there's different competing factions, and everybody was kind of operating on a different plan. The conference commissioners were supposedly working together earlier this offseason. At some point, it went the other way. I think there may have been some disagreement on how early the Big Ten made its decision to do conference-only games. I think the reality was everybody was going to get there at some point. It just maybe that every conference wasn't on board with that. But I think that's kind of the challenge is you have so many um, teams spread across so many different states, so many different competing ideas and, and how many games to play that it, it was just very difficult to get a grasp, I think, from everybody to be pulling in the right direction. Not to mention you have um, the spread of COVID is, is different in areas being able to actually get tests and have tests turned around in time. There was just different obstacles, and then that regional kind of mindset of college football 
played into it as well. So it really is unfortunate because, you know, had we had everybody starting at the same time, it would make it a little bit easier for playoff consideration. But, you know, like I said, it's 2020. We have college football on. Some games are going to be rescheduled every week. But I'm not complaining. We got college football back, and that's really all that matters. Exactly. You know, a couple weeks ago, we kind of got the appetizer. We got another little bit of an appetizer. I think we, we're getting through these four or five course meals next week. We'll get to the main course. We'll get to the to the to the nice like flank steak, all that great stuff that we're going to be having this time next week. And we'll get to the SEC in a little bit. But I want to go back and hit the rewind button to week the last week, week two of the college football season. With so many upsets, yet Arkansas State beat Kansas State. Coastal Carolina do, does it again, beating Les Miles and the Kansas Jayhawks. Mind you, it's not it's no longer the old Les Miles I-formation offense, which is a huge step in the right direction for them. And then, of course, the big one that everybody's been talking about over the last seven days, the Cajuns beating Iowa State, a ranked Iowa State team at that. What does it say about the Sun Belt Conference as well as what's going on with the Big 12? You know, it was a great Saturday for the Sun Belt, going 3-0 and um, on the road against Power 5 opponents, and, and, of course, all of them being Big 12 teams. I mean, it was just a great all-around weekend, and it's not just that it showed up in the win column. You know, you think about the TV and program exposure these teams got because the Big 10 wasn't playing, the Pac-12 wasn't playing. They were in marquee TV spots, and they had more eyeballs on them. So I think it's just in terms of, program impact it was a good weekend all around but i think what it says is you know you look at these teams individually arkansas state has been rock solid under blake anderson um you know they weren't intimidated going to play at kansas state you know you look at coastal carolina they won this game last season they've won now two in a row over kansas kansas is certainly the, the worst team in the big 12 but still for coastal carolina to go on the road and dominate that game basically from the first quarter to the end, I think says a lot. And, you know, Louisiana, you know, this, this is really wasn't a surprise to me that they won the game. You know, we've seen this program take a kind of upward trajectory over the last couple of years. I mean, they've won the two Sun Belt Division titles. The last hurdle is to beat App State and win the conference title. All three, uh, I think, were just, you know, marquee, good opportunity victories for the Sun Belt and for those programs. But I think when you look at the Big 12, you know, this is, uh, there's no secret that Oklahoma is the favorite. But when you start getting to the middle to the back of the conference, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in these teams. I mean, Kansas State's replacing players. Kansas is in rebuild mode. Um, Iowa State was supposed to be a top 25 team. So, I think come into this year, we thought the Big 12 ranked fifth, you know, fourth or fifth among Power Five uh, conferences, and I think that's probably pretty appropriate. But you know, to, to put a you know kind of stamp on it, just a great all-around weekend for the Cajuns and certainly for the Sun Belt. And let's just kind of stick stick with the Cajuns because you brought up that big hurdle, the, the hurdle that's been causing a whole lot of like strife for them over the last couple of years. And hell, I mean, since App State joined the conference, is the App State Mountaineers. They've never been able to beat them. They're that Alabama equivalent, Steve. So, like, right here, right now, do you think this is the year they can wind up pulling it off? I do. I'm picking the Cajuns to win the Sun Belt this year. And I think when you kind of think ahead, I know we're only in uh middle of September here, but let's start thinking ahead a little bit. Louisiana beat Iowa State. Iowa State could be a top 25 team again later this year. 
how many group of five teams are going to have a marquee non-conference victory this year? Probably not many. If App State is as good or close to what they've been the last couple of years, you know, potentially Louisiana could get two top 25 victories over App State. So you start thinking down the line, if the Cajuns can run the table with these victories, they have to be in the conversation to be in the New Year Six as the top group of five teams. So I am picking the Cajuns to get it done this year, get over that hurdle, and win the Sun Belt. And obviously we're talking about the Cajuns. They're 19th ranked, Steve. I think that's really great. But do you think that's sustainable? Because obviously now you've got the Big Ten, and we'll talk about them in a moment, but you got the Big Ten. They're going to be on the outs in terms of the top 25 this week, but after maybe next Sunday, could they wind up still being in that top 25 ranking? I think so. I, I think, you know, I think I ranked them, I think, 15th this week. So I think once you start adding those four or five Big Ten teams in there, and, you know, to be to be frank, too, you know, you start thinking about which Big Ten teams are ahead of them. It's probably Ohio State, Penn State, um, Wisconsin, maybe Michigan. I mean, there's a couple teams that I would put ahead of Louisiana, but I would still easily have them in the top 25 as long as they keep winning. You know, if they have a surprise loss to um, Monroe or, or another team, then maybe they would fall out. But I think at this point, the voters got a chance to see how good this team is. They also have the reputation from the last couple of years. They've won the division. They had the best you know season in school history last year. And, and it certainly helps, too, if Iowa State keeps winning and gets better. So, you know, they, they may fall a little bit once the Big Ten comes back, but I still think as long as they're undefeated, they're going to be in the top 25. It's going to be absolutely amazing to see what's going on with the Cajuns. It's going to be fun to keep an eye on them. Steve Tall right now, Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. And I think we need to kind of look over at that Big Ten. The big news this week, they were officially coming back starting in late October going to have an 8 plus 1. That plus 1, I think, is the most interesting part of all this, is that last week of the season, it's 1 versus 1, 2 versus 2, 3 versus 3. Could you see that become more of a thing beyond this season? Because I'm 100% interested in that kind of format for a college football season post-COVID. Absolutely. I I think it could. I I think, number one, you know, a lot of the conferences, whether it's the SEC, um, you know, you think about the ACC, some of these other leagues, they've discussed before nine or ten conference games. And if you could set up something like that on the last Saturday where all of your teams are playing, they're playing crossover opponents, maybe they kind of figure out a way to prevent rematches, number one, you add to what is already a really fun Saturday of games with Championship Saturday, but you also get TV inventory. And that's one of the reasons why it's happening in the Big Ten is, you know, that game is so valuable for TV properties that they get a full Saturday of games it gets them closer to the normal level in the normal season. So I think not only is it creative, it's beneficial for schools and TV contracts. So I'll be very interested to see how it works out, and I could definitely see other leagues trying to copy it. It could be some extra chaos uh, as we get deeper into the season and on championship Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how that kind of works out down the road, and obviously we're still waiting to find out what's going on with the Pac-12, like, do you see the Pac-12 even considering playing college football this fall? Because they're the ones that feel like they are the most likely to stay to stand firm in all this. 
I think so. I think they will. I, I think this kind of goes with the Big Ten is once you can acquire the daily rapid testing, some of the concerns that programs and conferences had back in the summer are alleviated. And I think as we get deeper into the calendar, you know, it may benefit every program in college football because you know, one of the concerns that I had was how can teams continue to test and get the test back as we get deeper into the calendar when some experts think that the virus could come back. Well, if you're, if you're doing daily rapid testing on campus, in theory, that could cut down some of the contact tracing and some of the quarantine problems that we have. So I think the Pac-12 will come back. I think it's going to be a very abbreviated six- or seven-game schedule. And speaking of the, the what the Big Ten did, I would not be surprised to see the Pac-12 try that format as well. Basically say the last Saturday, you know, it, we, whoever's not in the conference championship game will be playing a crossover game to fill up the TV and to get some extra games in this year. The window is very tight, but I think the Pac-12 is going to do it. All right, Steve, now we got to get to the meat and potatoes of things involving some of the big games coming up today. Obviously, still not necessarily the sexiest across the country, but I think one that everybody's going to be looking forward to because of the fact that we get to hear for the first time in 2020 uh, sounds that we've been waiting to hear for a long, long time, and that is the sweet, sweet theme of the SEC on CBS, leading us into 23rd-ranked App State taking on the herd, the fighting herd of Marshall. That's going to be a lot of fun, 230 kick. Where do you see this one going? Because it feels like App State could roll in this one. Yeah, you know, first of all, anytime that CBS on, on the SEC on CBS theme, you know, comes on, it's like I immediately perk up out of my seat. I know it's a big game. The SEC's back, so I think I could probably set it to maybe be my ringtone or alarm clock. Wake I was up about to say, I was about to say that needs to be the ringtone. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's the best theme in sports, and, and, and I think you know we talked about exposure. You know, the, the fact that App State is on CBS in a, in a prime TV spot is great exposure for the program and for the Sun Belt. And, you know, these teams have some history. They used to play a lot when they were FCS opponents. Marshall's quarterback, Grant Wells, when he, play, he started his first game two weeks ago against Eastern Kentucky, he looked very good. Uh, that was his first start, you know, threw for over 300 yards. App State's just a different team, though. It's the third coach in three years. But there's a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. Zach Thomas is back at quarterback. So I like App State. It's the spread's not very much. It's only three or four points. But I think the Mountaineers are the better team here. While the Cajuns are playing in Atlanta, not too far down the road, you got Georgia Tech, UCF, 14th ranked. The Knights of UCF taking on those Yellow Jackets, who had a pretty decent start to their 2020 season. What do you say about the fact that you know you got UCF ranked so highly in this one, 230 kick, two ranked teams playing not too far from each other out in the ATL. Absolutely. You know, speaking of, you know, program respect, you know, UCF has it. They've, you know, had the undefeated season. They played in the New Year's Six Bowl game against LSU. They have consistently been there at 9, 10 victories, 11 in, in recent years. So they have a lot of national respect coming into this year. Very deserved as well. Um, their offense is one of the best in college football. They'll have no trouble uh, putting up points this year. I think the intrigue to me with this game is we've seen teams that have already played a game 
looked better in week two, and Georgia Tech looked pretty good in week one, beating Florida State in Tallahassee. Uh, Jeff Sims, the true freshman quarterback, uh, had a nice outing in his first start. So, you know, Georgia Tech already has a marquee win. They've knocked off the rust. Can they do it two weeks in a row? I think it's going to be tough, though. You know, UCF is just a different uh, offense right now than Florida State. They don't have the quarterback uh, question marks. Their offensive line's in better shape. So Georgia Tech is trending in the right direction, but I, I think UCF is still the better team here. All right, Steve, before I let you go, let's talk a little LSU football with the defending national champions. They look to be set up for a lot of success in 2020 in this truncated season. Where do you see things going with them, a one-miles Brent? I think that's the big cog that's going to determine where this team goes. I think right now, in my mind, I have them winning the whole darn thing in the SEC again. But what's, what in your mind is going to be the biggest key for Miles Brennan in 2020? You know, I, I actually think if I'm an LSU fan, I would feel pretty good about where Miles Brennan is. Um, you know, for starters, LSU didn't bring in a transfer quarterback. And I think we've seen teams that don't feel great about their quarterback situation bring in a transfer. LSU didn't. He's been in the offense the last couple of years. He learned under Joe Burrow last season. He's played pretty well um, in limited time as well. So I, I actually feel pretty good about Miles Brennan. I think it's, the, the, to me, one of the biggest reasons why they're still um, a contender to win the SEC, even though they have so much turnover around that is LSU should feel pretty good about its quarterback and its offense. And we know what LSU has coming back at receiver and you add in Eric Gilbert at tight end as well. Um, I don't think that they're going to match what they did last year on offense, but they should still be very good. I will be very interested to see how the offensive line comes together as well. That's one of the groups that, you know, feel better if I'm an LSU fan about quarterbacks and receivers. Offensive line, I would say, is probably the question mark uh, of the season. But certainly, when we start thinking about all SEC at the end of the year, I think there's a pretty good chance Miles Brennan is in that discussion. Exactly, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road next week. We're actually going to be cut a little bit short thanks to that LSU-Mississippi State game, which means we'll hear the SEC on CBS once again. Steve, thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Anytime, Clint. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. We talk about it so much. I'm just going to go ahead and play it as we head out to break before we wrap up our number one back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Enjoy the tunes. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These count to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great, dare I say, wonderful Saturday afternoon. And, you know, real quick before we hit that top of the hour, because we got we got a couple minutes, let's go ahead and do this real quick. Like, I only got one this week. I've been in a pretty good mood all week long because the Cajuns win last week. Currently they're trailing 7 I think it's some give you some more details about that at the top of the hour. But I've only got one thing I've got to complain about this week, so let's hit the bricks real quick. 
There's a lot of things that frustrates the famous CD on a daily basis. I got a lot of problems with you people. Let's let the man breathe and tell you what needs to hit the bricks. The one thing that needs to hit the bricks is what's going on with the Peacock Network and how they're handling Premier League soccer. As as a, as a diehard soccer fan, I've got some complaints about it. Hit the bricks, pal. They need to hit the bricks because, mind you, you're kind of in a different situation where you've got the Tour de France and you've also got the U.S. Open. That's all going on, a part of NBC's coverage of everything. Well, that means the Premier League is getting booted over to Peacock TV, which is their new streaming service that NBC has. And it's really great. Don't get me wrong. Be able to watch Dan Patrick and be able to watch Rich Eisen, all the great stuff. But they also have a paywall. And the paywall is blocking me from watching Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Currently, about 26 minutes into the ballgame, Crystal Palace tri- up 1-0. One nu- one I'm really mad about that. Come on, man, United. Get your bleep together. Get your house in order. But, of course, you know I'm sitting here saying, I'm not paying. I'm not going ahead and signing up for a free trial just to see Manchester United. This should be not behind a paywall, but... Primetime TV, how can you not put this in that conversation? Hit the bricks, pal. All right, I'm done with that for this hour. Hour one in the books. Appreciate Steve Lassen for coming aboard this next hour. We're going to talk about what's going on with the Cajuns, and they are struggling. 14 nothing. Cajuns trailing right now. Possible hangover situation for the Cajuns. Hopefully not the case because, man, oh, man, I don't want to think about what's going to happen on Monday. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more, especially what's going on around the boot and the Sunbelt Conference. Next, you're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 103.7 The Game studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 103.7 the game and welcome everyone to under the dome with cd the must listen to saturday morning sports talk show in all of acadia and hopefully have a great Saturday afternoon, make it a great one if you haven't already, right around lunchtime. Hopefully you're enjoying the show so far, and hopefully you are one to enjoy a great second half for the Cages, because right now the first half has been absolute doo-doo, because they are down 14 nothing with 11 minutes left in the half, and man, they had a lot of bad breaks all throughout this ball game and just have underwhelmed, to say the least, in a lot of different situations. Not not the best. Meanwhile, the Tulane Green Wave are starting to roll right now past Navy. 17, let me go ahead and do a quick turnaround. Yeah, 17 nothing. because, again, this TV's like right behind me, so I can't quite see it, like outright, of what's going on with that game right here, right now. But hopefully you're having a good one. Coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game Studios. We appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through the FM dial. 
be it through the free 103.7 game mobile app, especially if you have it for iPhone or Android. Personally, I'm an Android user. Hopefully, you're enjoying the show nonetheless. And as well as through the smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, tell them to play 103.7 the game. It's just that simple. That way you can just sit back, relax, and enjoy a great show on a beautiful Saturday morning or afternoon, I should say, because it's 12 o'clock, ladies and gentlemen, 12.04. And, you know, I want to get into more about what's going on across the state. But this news, this is like the fourth or fifth week, I think since we've jumped over from 10 a.m. to noon to 11 to 1, we've had news break on this program. I believe the first, I think it was the second week, we had the news about Alvin Gentry. Last week, we had the news about your boy Alvin Kamara getting the deal. Maybe it's just the fact we had two albums kind of have news break during the show. But I think also, when it comes down to it, the other big news that popped up today came from Chandler Rome. And yeah, Justin Verlander officially announced he needs Tommy John surgery. And he announced it in an Instagram video. And, you know, your boy is able to cook up some great stuff in the break and luckily is able to pull off a lot of different things off the air. Here's what he had to say. That in my simulated game a couple days ago, I felt something in my elbow. Um, and after looking at the MRI and conversing with some of the best doctors in the world, we've determined that Tommy John surgery is my best option. Obviously, this is not good news. Um, you know, however, I'm going to handle this the only way that I know how. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic. Uh, I'm going to put my head down, work hard, attack this rehab, and hopefully come out the other side better for it. Um, I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And although 2020 has uh, has sucked, um, you know, hopefully uh, when this rehab process is all said and done, this will allow me to charge through the end of my career and be healthy as long as I want and pitch as long as I want and accomplish some of the goals that I want in my career. Um, you know, so that being said, I want to thank my teammates, my coaches, the Astros, um, for their support. Um, uh, I tried as hard as I could to, to come back and, and, and play this season. Unfortunately, my body just didn't cooperate. Um, I don't really know what else to say. Um, you know, I think a blessing in disguise, a silver lining, is I get to spend some time with my young daughter and my family um, <clears throat> and hit the reset button and come back stronger than ever. I like how he said during that clip that we just played from Justin Verlander, this is from his Instagram page, mentioning that he needs Tommy John surgery. Felt something in his arm during his simulated game the other day, and they determined that Tommy John was the best option for him. And he brought the fact that he was like, "Pitch as long as he wants." Here's the thing: Father Time is undefeated. First of all, and he's 37 years old. Tommy John surgery at 37 years old may not necessarily be a death knell, as it probably was several years ago. But in my mind, I think this might be the time for Justin Verlander to hang it up. And I loved what I've seen from Verlander since he's joined the franchise. I've been a huge proponent for him along with a guy like Garrett Cole, Bebe. Now that he's with the Garrett, now he's with the New York Yankees, he can go to hell. But in my mind, I think you look at what the Astros had with Justin Verlander and the situation where he got injured early in the year with the groin pull and thankfully, he had time to kind of like rest up and get ready to go. But man, oh man, this is a big issue that's going to cause a lot of problems going forward. Because look back to like what's what time of year this is. September 19th. 
that means you potentially are going to be without him all of next year now. 2021, you're going to be without him. 2022, he's going to be damn near 40. He's going to be 39 years old. February 2022, which probably would be at least the time frame you have him. Which makes you wonder, are you willing to take that risk and be able to keep a guy like Zach Grinke around for the next couple of years to make sure that you have a chance, you have even a remote opportunity to get things done and be able to try and at least get one more one more title out of you? Do you have a chance to get something going with your team, with your offense, with your pitching staff? Because right now the pitching staff is a little is a relative mess right now. I can tell you today that I've seen nothing really great from the bullpen. The bullpen has been trash all season long. And I wish I could have more time to talk about this, but I'm going to go ahead and just say this. This is one of the worst days in Astros franchise history for the short term and the long term. Because it would have been great to have Justin Verlander around for that postseason run. Now you're without him, not just for all of 2020, let's be honest. You're without him for all of next year. Next year, like this is this was already gonna be the last hurrah for a lot of players. Now everything's gonna blow up. And I think this is where we could we start to see the Astros go from being leaders in the clubhouse, leaders of the new school, leaders of the small market teams getting it done. And you know, and the fact that JV, his contract is up next year. Something I completely forgot about until I just saw it on Twitter was the fact that this is the last year of his contract next season. And I'd say, honestly, Justin Verlander, if I were him, and I'm sure Kate Upton would love to have that, say, hey, you've made your money, made your nut, go ahead and hang it up after that season. Go ahead, hang it up, wrap it up, because you'll be 39 years old off of Tommy John surgery. I've never had Tommy John surgery, but from what I've been able to kind of surmise with a lot of players, that is usually kind of like the beginning of the end of like when, especially like these middle range players who have Tommy John surgery after a certain point, you are going to be just one. You need to like basically hang it up is the big thing that I'm wondering about right now. Meanwhile, oh boy, the, the Cajuns, I mean, go back to what's going on across this great state of ours. And start off with the Louisiana Raging Cages, because obviously that's what's causing all this. And they're, they're they've got the ball right now, down fourteen nothing, with nine minutes in the second quarter. You said Elijah Mitchell get a fifteen yard run. I'm not going to do play by play because I think that's against like regulations or something. But I'll give you an idea of what's been going on over the last like few minutes because there's been a lot to talk about here on Acadiana Sports Station. So you had like most of the drives for the Cajuns have been punts. They had punt, 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 and then they actually, no, punt, punt, field goal attempt missed again by Nate Snyder. I'm sorry, Nate. Time for time for you to go down, dog, and just step away. Then the other two drives are punts. Meanwhile, Georgia State, first two drives, punt, punt, which is okay. I think that's, that's atypical of some games. Some games you just can't necessarily get out of the second gear right away. And it looks like there's... Possible, there's going to be a review, looks like. I'm, I'm just kind of observing it. And, again, this is the real downside. Okay, possible fumble under review during the break. I just saw that on Twitter. But 
is a downside of watching things on mute. You're not able to see everything live as it happens, especially on a laptop and you're watching on a stream. It's definitely a little less than ideal. But that being said, you know, you got other games going on across the state. I mentioned it earlier, Tulane up 17 and nothing right now. That's going to be a, a lot of fun to kind of see what happens in the second half of that ball game. Tulane looking good to start the year. Meanwhile, you got another gr- a couple great matchups coming up later today across the state and across the Sun Belt. There's only a, two other games involving conference teams, but we'll get to that in a minute. La Tech, Southern Miss. Been a rough week for Louisiana Tech with AD Tommy McClellan stepping down, running scared, going over to Vanderbilt after he hangs it up. And, you know, he's going to be going to Vandy at the end of the month. But, yet, yeah, La Tech, Southern Miss. They've had a rough week in general because he had Hurricane Laura hit there a couple weeks ago and then players tested positive for COVID because they're all together, kind of. They were huddled together because of the fact you had to kind of be safe in the midst of Laura hitting Rustin pretty hard with him a Category 1 hurricane that really hadn't ever happened in a lot of people's lifetime. And then you go to that matchup, Southern Miss traveling over to Hattiesburg. Golden Eagles, five-point favorites in this contest. Definitely a little surprise, just, just a little bit. I still think there's a chance where this becomes a really fun contest. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be later today. And you got UL Monroe, Texas State, the only other in-state matchup outside of the Tulane Navy and Cajun Georgia State game. It's a virtual pick right now. The Bobcats currently one-point favorites from what I was seeing on uh, my favorite odd sites. And I was seeing, you know, UL Monroe is a virtual pick I'm blown away by that. Texas State looked absolutely lost last weekend. going to pull up the number right now because I don't quite remember how the game went. But it was, like, completely lost for a good chunk of that ball game against SMU. And then they lost in, I believe, double overtime. It was 31-24. It was nuts to see. Excuse me, that was regulation. I don't remember what I was watching last weekend. There was one game last weekend that I watched where it was like double overtime. Oh, wait, no, it was UTSA last weekend. That's the one that went to overtime, 51-48. They looked lost week one, too, but week two, they looked even worse, 0-2 to start the season, but they're somehow some way one-point favorites. I am blown away by that. Then you got Troy, Middle Tennessee. Troy's always been a really good team. They're taking on the Blue Raiders of, of Middle Tennessee, former Sun Belt members. They're playing each other later today, and Trojans currently five-point favorites. I would gladly take Troy to, Troy to win that one by a touchdown. I don't know a whole lot about the Blue Raiders, but I don't think they're necessarily as much of a force as they were in the past. Yeah, that's not a fumble. He's already down by contact. He's already down by contact. He may not have complete control, but that, that's going to be confirmed as a – he was down by contact. They, they have the ball. It's, it's complete control on that one. When I saw the replay. Then you have Coastal Carolina last night. This was a Friday night match, the first time Coastal Carolina and Campbell had ever been on the four-letter network, and that was so much fun to see this ball game. Coastal Carolina rolled over Campbell 43-21. I'll give Campbell credit, though, so big ups to them. Did cover the whopping 28-point spread for this contest, so credit, credit them for getting it done for all those degenerate gamblers and the fans of Spreadheads. Let's just go ahead and put it that way. And speaking of some spreads, we'll get to that in a little bit, involving the NFL. But you know, we'll talk with Ross Jackson at twelve thirty to give us the Saints' perspective for Monday Night Football. 
And we'll talk about all that and more. By the way, you can listen to that right here on 1037 The Game. Monday Night Football, pregame 630. The kickoff is going to be 715, somewhere along those lines. Great pass, great pass from Levi Lewis. And that one went to, well, okay, I'm trying to find it now. Peter LeBlanc. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit behind on the stream, so I'm not able to like see everything live as it happens. But still, a solid play from Peter LeBlanc to get him another first down for Louisiana. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Come back. we got a lot more to get to here on Acadiana Sports Station. Listen to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Talking with Ross Jackson in about 10 minutes or so. So hopefully you keep it locked right here at Acadiana Sports Station. Here, the latest involving the New Orleans Saints heading into that big Monday night matchup, which you'll hear right here on 103.7 The Game, along with a triple header that's going to be highlighted by the Patriots-Seahawks Sunday night game. It'll all be right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 game i wish i could do that dude's voice like he does because he does an amazing voice you hear it all the time in the nfl on westwood one promo right now cajun's trailing 14 nothing punted again and now the panthers have a chance to really run up the score before half 538 left with george state gonna be taking the ball over at the at their own 20 yard line after a touchback punt by reese burns once again they are struggling offensively and it's definitely very, very concerning. But we'll flip over from the world of college football for a little bit. And then we get into something that I like to look at, and that is week two of the NFL or in the league where they play for pay. Oh, it's going to be a great week two of action. We start off with the less than ideal matchup. Green Bay taking on the Detroit Lions. The Packers from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Six and a half point favorites in the contest. Give me Green Bay. I think I have them in the Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. You can enter to win right now. The Green Bay Packers are going to roll in week number two. Hopefully, you're looking forward to week number two. And we get to week number two's matchup, the Chicago Bears. Da Bears 1-0 to start the season. And they're going to be taking on the New York football Giants. And i got to say, this is going to be fun to see what happens with this matchup. The Bears currently five-point favorites right now. I was blown away by the fact they are five-point favorites. It's a lot of faith in a team who just came away with a week one win pretty much by the skin of their teeth to a certain extent. And for me, I got to go with, I feel like I got to go with the bears in this contest as well. Hopefully you have that pick as well. 
I think I think the Giants do cover though. Five point spread is is tough to really like gauge on it. If that's a true, it's going to be a true cover or not. Meanwhile, you got another matchup coming up week two. Jacksonville, Tennessee, the Titans currently eleven point favorites. I think that line's going to shift significantly. This is coming from the opening. Seeing a lot of other lines with the Bavada saying it's seven and a half point. I think that's going to be a more along the lines of what's going on with that matchup. Seven and a half point spread. The Tennessee Titans are up on that one. Give me the Tennessee Titans. The Jacksonville Jaguars are once again tanking for Trevor. They're one of the teams looking to win that Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes in 2020. It's going to be fun, though, to see what happens with that contest. I have them in that one. Then you've got the Atlanta Falcons, the Falcons, taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Currently, Dallas, Courtney Bavada, four-point favorites in this contest. It's a low, it looks to be interesting to see how that one goes. I got to go with the Dallas Cowboys win this one as well. I think the Atlanta Falcons, I hope nothing but bad things happen to them, and they struggle all season long, just like any good Saints fan would. San Francisco taking on the New York J-E-T-S Jets, 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 and they S-U-C-K suck, suck, suck. Sam Darnold S-U-C-K suck, suck, sucks. And bottom line is the San Francisco 49ers bounce back. If they lose this one, their season's D-O-N-E, done, done, done. In fact, most of Acadiana has picked the 49ers. 95% of our picks in the Twin Peaks Pro Pick of Challenge have it going towards those San Francisco 49ers who we all know Kevin Foote hates with a passion. Meanwhile, the LA Rams taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, a virtual pick them right now, minus one. That's where we're at, plus minus one. So who I got? Rams versus Philly. I got to go with. Okay. I got to go with the Rams. Sorry, I was trying to find where, I, where it was because it's like, I'm using a site that has the odds and is a different lineup than what I see on my, the Twin Peaks Pro Picking Challenge. So kind of going back and forth between two different windows. It's a little tough, but I got to go with the Los Angeles Rams. That's who I have picked. And they're actually 73% according to what's going on in the Pro Pick'em Challenge. Then you've got Carolina and Tampa by the Bay, another NFC South matchup. Tom Brady and the Bucks, eight-point favorites. The Panthers, eight-point dogs. Give me the... Her, her, her. Panthers, the dogs. Give me the underdogs in this one. They're twelve per, only twelve percent have picked them. Give me the oh, 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 the underdogs. We always root for underdogs here on Acadiana Sports Station, and the Panthers are one of them. Teddy Two Gloves gets the win. Brady drops to zero and two. I still think this team struggles early on in this season, and I won't be surprised if the Panthers do look good in this one. Denver taking on those Yinzers from Pittsburgh, the Broncos. Absolutely look awful. Give me the Steelers in this one for what it's worth. The Steelers are only seven-point favorites. Surprised that that line should be higher heading into game time. Then you got Minnesota taking on Indianapolis. The Colts, three-point favorites in the contest. A little surprise there. But then again, the offensive line for the Vikings absolutely sucked. So give me the Minnesota Vikings. I'm giving the edge here only slightly because I think the Colts' offensive line is kind of trash too. But it'll be interesting to see how that game turns out. Kirk Cousins needs to find Jeff- Justin Jefferson a lot more than he did last week. Then we've got Buffalo, Miami. The, the Buffalo Bills, six point favorites in this contest. 
you got to circle the wagons and circle in the Buffalo Bills winning this bad boy. Then you've got Washington, the football team, taking on the Arizona Cardinals. That's going to be intriguing to see what happens there. The, the Washington football team looked good in their first game with a new name. But they take on the Arizona Cardinals, who pulled off the upset last weekend, beating the San Francisco 49ers. I got to go with the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, and crew getting it done. Year two is going to be a lot better for them. They'll be a dark horse in the NFC West, possible wild card team. We'll see with them. Then you go to Kansas City, taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Currently, Chiefs, big nine-point favorites. And you guessed it, we're going to root for the Chiefs. How can you not root for the Chiefs? 97% of Acadiana has voted for them as well in our Twin Peaks Pro Pick'em Challenge. We can enter it in right now, 1037thegame.com. Then you get the Ravens and the Texans. This is also a lopsided spread as well. Seven and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if that goes up a little bit closer to game time. Probably tomorrow we'll see more of a defined idea of what's going on. Seven and a half point spread. Give me Baltimore winning that one and win big. Seattle taking on New England. The Sunday night football matchup that everybody's been looking forward to. I hate the fact that they keep promoting the fact that this was a rematch of the Super Bowl. When it's not, you don't have half the team that was on that on the squad five years ago aren't even on the same team. It blows my mind. It boggles the mind to this day that that's where we're at in 2020. So for me, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks. They're four-point favorites. I would love to go Cam Newton, but i got to go with the Seahawks. And then we get to Monday Night Football. The Las Vegas Raiders take it on the New Orleans Saints in Sin City. That's where the place is. And they always say, bet on the house. But this go-round, you got to go with the team that is the Saints that can purge the sins of the father of Al Davis. Mark Davis loves this. Al Davis used to say, just win, baby. Well, trust me, New New Orleans is just going to win, baby. They're going to drop Las Vegas to 1-1 on the year. The Saints are going to look good. The big question is, who's going to step up in the absence of Michael Thomas? Well, we'll talk about that next with our guest, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and All Saints Considered. And we'll get to that and a whole lot more next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Even in these trying times, the world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a sports station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday so far, and I'm definitely having a good one right now. Cajuns took, finally got on the board right before the first half, and it's 14-7. to Meanwhile, I was just like seeing the extra point getting kicked, and the thing is actually a little bit like bent. 18-yard touchdown pass from Levi Lewis to Chris Smith. Was able to catch the, the touchdown right when it happened. Mind you, I was busy trying to get my next guest aboard that Twin Peaks hotline. That's our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, Saints, want to know, how's it feel, man? 
Oh, I mean, look, uh, with all the questions that I went into to that week one uh, game against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to see them pull off a win in the, in the fashion that they did, uh, it feels really good. It's exciting to see. And I think the Saints may have a model here moving forward, unlike what we've seen before. Now we just wait to see uh, sort of where, what layers they can add on top of what we saw on Sunday. And you know, Ross, like looking at that matchup last, uh, last Sunday afternoon, what was the big takeaway you had? Because I think we were all blown away by how good that defense looked against Tom Brady in the Pats. And the, excuse me, the Bucks. I'm so used to saying Tom Brady in the Pats. It's I still know, taking some getting used to. I know it's Tom Brady in the Pats, and then my other one is you know talking about the Raiders. I always want to. I always go to Oakland first. So you know, it, it takes time to get used to. Uh, well, first of all, it takes time to get used to 2020. But secondly, it takes time used to all of the uh, the changes that we've had here. But one of the big changes when you watch this team on uh, Sunday, last Sunday's game, that 34-23 to win for the Saints, was the Saints looked like a defensive team all of a sudden, which is not something that we're uh, accustomed to saying or accustomed to seeing. Certainly, you know, you look at the, the miscues, things that happened on offense for the Saints, none of them detrimental, no turnovers for the Saints offense. So we saw their usual production from the offense in terms of protecting the ball, ball control, things like that. The Saints offense still scored three touchdowns. Just not a lot of yardage output uh, as opposed to what we're used to seeing from the Saints. The Saints are usually scoring 29 points per game over on the offensive side. You take away the pick six that Janoris Jenkins had, they scored 27. So really everything in terms of output was still there. It was just the production along the way looked very different. So in terms of what stands out, you look at Drew Brees passing for only 160 yards, but then you consider the fact that they started eight of their 13 offensive drives beyond or at their own 35-yard line. So they were in good field position the entire game. On the opposite side, Tampa Bay starting off no better ever than their 25. So no better than a touchback, you know, their entire 13 drives. So it was really interesting sort of watching this team that didn't necessarily have an offense going, Sean Payton talking about his play calling, but really still getting a convincing and considerable win here against Tampa Bay, and a lot of it came from the defense. And I think that's definitely the big thing that I think everybody noticed. But at the end of the day, you just look at that game as a whole and the way everything kind of looked. How much of that was because of the fact that you had so many damn pass interference penalties? Because like, I'm sure if you looked at the pass <laughs> interference yards for both teams, it probably would be more than the passing, both passing yards for both teams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you saw, you saw the Saints offense play a very clean game. You saw... Even really the Tampa Bay offense, you know, we saw over the first week, um, you know, across the NFL, holding penalties were down, things like that. So really, you know, you look at what it is that the defenses did with the defensive pass interference penalties that we saw, and you saw. Consider, I mean, I think that, you know, Emmanuel Sanders. You look at him; he only had 17 or so. He had less than 20 yards or around 20 yards receiving in this game, and he did have the five-yard touchdown. But if you add in the the, you know, the receiving yards that he picked up on pass interference penalties by himself, he'd be pretty close to a 100-yard day. And so uh, it, it was kind of an interesting thing to watch, the combination of the way that special teams played versus the way that their defense, the Saints defense, put them in very advantageous positions, but then also the Tampa Bay defense costing themselves some considerable field position along with those pass interference penalties. And we certainly saw them against the Saints as well. We saw them start early against the Saints and then continue to permeate over to the Tampa Bay side. I think that was a big factor for the team. But it was, it was still encouraging over on the offensive side, particularly the offensive line, which I was most concerned about when it came to communication and penalties to see them play a relatively clean game when it came to 
um, those types of, uh, of miscues. We saw a couple of miscues in terms of blocking, but not in terms of discipline. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Now, now we get to the real like fun part of this show, talking about Michael Thomas's injury, and it feels more likely than not mm-hmm. he won't be playing on Monday night, and probably for the next several weeks, according to a lot of different sources. Mind you, Michael Thomas feels like he'd probably be ready to play, but I'm like, dude, come on, just take a few weeks off, relax, and, and get healthy for the for the bulk of your run. Maybe come back after the bye week. I think that's what everybody wants to see the Saints team do, but who, who has to step up the most for uh, for the Saints not to realize that they miss him all that much? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's going to change week to week depending upon how much time he misses. If he only misses this Raiders game, let's say, then I think that this week I see a big day for Jared Cook in his place because I think that the the secondary for the Raiders is mostly inexperienced. John Abrams and... Uh, Eric Harris, their pair of safeties are their veteran players, but it feels a lot like, you know, the, the defenses that we have seen, or the secondaries that we've seen the Saints field that have struggled, you know, before the big changeover that happens, where they were just a, a young secondary. You have, you know, guys like, uh, Trayvon Mullen, as well as Damon Arnett, who was the first round pick earlier this year. Damon Arnett gave up over 100 yards and a perfect passer rating against Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers who are running a very similar offense, kind of a junior version of the Saints offense, led by offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who, of course, spent time at LSU and was the offensive assistant in New Orleans. And so you look at what was successful against the Las Vegas Raiders last week, and I think you can expect to see the same thing successful against them this week, and a lot of that is going to be spreading the ball around and getting multiple receivers involved in the game. So that works to the Saints' advantage that, Ideally, you're not going to rely on Michael Thomas to catch, you know, 170 passes just in this game alone. Anyway, you're really going to try to spread the ball out and get the run game going to sort of help set up what you want to do in the passing game. So when I look at it, the biggest name that probably leaps out to most people is Emmanuel Sanders, of course, who will bump up to that number one receiver role, doing something and playing, you know, running the routes, doing the things that he has done before and has excelled at before, yes. But I do think that Jared Cook may be the biggest X factor for the Saints offense in terms of the passing game and as a receiver going into this weekend. Beyond that, I think it changes every week, much like who the you know who the game plan would be for changes every week anyway, even with Michael Thomas in the, in, in the lineup. What do you think about Emmanuel Sanders and how much he kind of underwhelmed a little bit in that week one contest? Not necessarily as much as maybe we thought he would, but then again, you, you brought it up earlier. Drew Brees is passing yards just far from ideal. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that just had to do with communication, chemistry, and trust. I mean, there were multiple times where you can find Emmanuel Sanders open uh, during that Sunday game, and either he came open a little bit too late in the route, uh, depending upon the order of Drew Brees' reads, he might not have made his way to Emmanuel Sanders by the time that you know Sanders had worked his way open. There were a couple other times where uh, Drew Brees looked like he had a choice between Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook or somebody else that he you know, has been in the offense that he trusts, and he went to that other option, sometimes to the Saints' detriment as well. So sometimes it really just looked like it came down to trust and chemistry, which I think will only get better as the seasons roll along. But you did see Drew get a little bit more comfortable with Emmanuel Sanders later on. You know, they had that three tight end formation out there where they scored the touchdown with Emmanuel Sanders. Sanders was the only wide receiver on the field for that with Michael Thomas off the field. So all of a sudden, Emmanuel Sanders became the first read, first option. And with that play, he scored the touchdown. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, and also Canal Street Chronicles. And, Ross, let's flip over the defensive side of the football because I was interested earlier in the week to hear what Cam Jordan had to say about his defensive line, 
having a lot of depth. I'm going to go ahead and play that clip for you right now. I like us. I mean, I uh, I said early on this year, I said I think our D-line could be special. Uh, this was, what, like the first or second week of camp. It seemed like everybody was humming. You know, you have Trey, a, a healthy Marcus, everything that was going for us. You, we looked over, you had Rankins, David Onyemata competing, uh, both Malcolms in the middle. <laughs> I think I'm going to keep that one. Uh, but just, you know, the way our D-line is progressing, we could be special. And I, I'm going to keep encouraging us to continue growing, um, much like your mustache looking like Gardner Minshew's. All right, number one, like, it's up the defensive line depth overall. But number two, will Malcolm's in the middle be used as a headline for a feature on on the two defensive linemen or, or not? I was so hoping that that was the clip you were going to roll. I was so excited when I heard it start. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't think you can, right? Like, you have to brand yeah. that and you have to use that, at least over on the New Orleans Saints side. So we'll see what they end up doing with it with that uh, phenomenal media team that the Saints yeah. do I, have. I'm, but, I'm waiting but, for them to use, like, the, the Malcolm in the Middle theme song with, you know, like, <laughs> like at the end, it's just like you, just see, him a, you see one of the Malcolms, like, sack him a – Matt Ryan or something like that, and just like it, all of a sudden it ends with a life is unfair. It'd be perfect. Oh my goodness! No, absolutely. There's there will be there needs to be something. If there's not, we'll make it. But um, <laughs> that's the certain. <laughs> uh, but what it comes down to is defensive line rotation. You know, I broke this down and I looked at configurations amongst the Saints' eight defensive linemen that were active during this game. Of course, Marcus Davenport, Shy Tuttle, both inactive for this game. Marcus Davenport due to injury. Shy Tuttle a healthy scratch. Healthy scratch. Uh, when you look at the combinations, or let me say configurations, of the, the defensive line, meaning that if you have the same players out there, the same four players out there, and two players in one play play three tech and one tech and then swap places, it's the same players that they're playing in a different position, that would be a different configuration. So I counted 31 different configurations amongst the Saints defensive line up against Tampa Bay, and that creates confusion along the offensive line, particularly an offensive line like Tampa Bay's that had a clear and obvious weak spot in Donovan Smith over at the left tackle position. And the Saints were able to take advantage of that. Sheldon Rankins got lined up over on that over that tackle. Uh, of course, Trey Hendrickson and Carl Granderson both had sacks off of that tackle. And so you do a lot of, of different things to an offensive line when you're able to swap up configuration and go through all of these different rotations and get players involved. Uh, you know, from different spots in the field. And I think that that is such a huge thing that the Saints do have an advantage with going into the season is that they're going to be able to take advantage of already uncomfortable offensive lines by making the same offensive linemen go up against three, four, five different defensive linemen with different styles, different tempos, and different assignments. And I think that that's one of the big things that helps this defensive line be so successful is the, the versatility that they have all along it and the type of confusion that that can create for opposing offensive lines. Ross, looking at the, the matchup Monday night against the Raiders, what's going to be the biggest key for the Saints to improve to 2-0 and in this contest? Because it feels like the Raiders are, like at least from what I saw last week, they're sneaky good. Yeah, they, they are a sneaky good team. They have a lot of talent. The addition of uh, first-round receiver Henry Ruggs is obviously huge. John Gruden's in love with that speed and would absolutely use that. He's also dealing with an injury, so we'll see if he's able to play. If he is, and I think even still, the Saints' biggest focus needs to be on Josh Jacobs and has to be on limiting the run game. If they can make Derek Carr had the fewest air yards of any quarterback in the NFL last season, yes, even fewer than Drew Brees. Um, he completed 22 passes last week, only 20 of them beyond 10 yards in the line of scrimmage. So if, if the Saints can, first of all, 
limit Josh Jacobs' production in the run game and as a receiver out the backfield. And if they can tackle at the catch point, which he did a very good job at last year, I'm sorry, last week, in sort of limiting yards after catch, then that, I think, would be the biggest key for the Saints. It all starts with eliminating the run game as much as possible, which I do think that Josh Jacobs is a big threat uh, to the Saints, to the Saints defense. Uh, to potentially be the first 100-yard rusher since 2017. We'll see if he's able to do that. But the Saints, obviously, if they're able to limit him and force you know, the Raiders to have to throw the ball, it puts them in the most advantageous situation. How crazy is that? You just brought up one thing I wanted to bring up was the fact that the streak has been going on for so long. The last last mm-hmm. player to rush against the Saints defense for over 100 yards was Samaj P. Ryan. Like, is he even still in the league anymore? That name just like it brought up old memories. Yeah, I, I like. I don't know what's more shocking, the 2017 or the streaks in 2017, or the fact that it was Samaj Piran uh, that did that last. But of course, you know, in that game, the Saints were down 15 points going into the fourth quarter, or at least in the fourth quarter. That was that Washington game with the incredible comeback uh, late in the game, and so you know they were running a lot. Washington was and trying to trying to burn down the clock, but obviously didn't do a good enough job at it, giving Drew Brees, Sean Payton, Alvin Kamara, all the people that made plays enough of a. Uh, a shot there, but it just goes to show you how good the Saints defense has been uh, for some time. They were a top ten defense, top ten run defense in 2017, and then top five in both 2018, 2019. In fact, top three in 2018. On top of that, so it's you know it, it, it's a big deal and it's a big focus for this team. And a part of what makes them so good against the run game is not just the defensive line, but the fact that they have they have players that they can rely on as tacklers all the way back to safety uh, with Malcolm Jenkins now being back there. And so you've got probably 10 out of 11 players on that defense at any time that you know can make a tackle near the line of scrimmage. All right, one more before I let you go, Ross. More on the lighter side of things. How disappointed were you about not getting the All-22 on Monday? I I was – okay, I'll be honest. I was not as uh, shook as apparently the rest of the Internet was because <laughs> – uh, the, you know, the, the first week usually does take a couple extra days. Like, it's usually a Wednesday or a Thursday thing. But once we got into the deeper part of the week, I, you know, I had to start reprogramming my show and everything because of, you know, because of how late it came out. So it was, it was kind of wild. Like, it was kind of wild. But the memes were fantastic all over the internet. I oh, will say that. It was amazing. So at least we got some entertainment out of it. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm not going to lie to see, like, everybody's reaction just freaking out. I'm like, you know, calm down. Like, this, it's a big deal, yes, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's the first week of the season in 2020. At least we have football right. that we can go back and watch. It may not be all 22, which is what we want, but, man, it, it was so weird to see everybody, like, freak the you-know-what out over it. Right. My favorite one was uh, Trevor Sikama from over at the Draft Network where he tweeted at uh, NFL Game Pass, please release the All-22. My family is starving. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was probably my favorite one but you know thankfully like my focus this week was on the defensive line so i was still able to do that with the broadcast view you know so i think that might have that might have lessened my stress about it because i could still do the work that i needed to do uh but it was it was there were some quality quality things going on on twitter i'm wondering like what it would have been like if we didn't get the like the nfl game pass like all 22 cam would there have just been like a full-blown like riot going on and everybody was just gonna be like yelling at their computer screens like and yelling at nfl because the fact they did not give them the all 22 game feel or would it have been like you know you go through the five stages of like grief the bargaining acceptance all that stuff (laughs) yeah i don't know how quickly we would have moved to acceptance 
Uh, <laughs> I think that I think that might have taken a while. Uh, we probably would have stayed in those first few uh, those first few uh, different steps uh, for quite a while there, at least until you know the the next Thursday game happened. Because then you end up compounding, right? Because if we didn't get the first week, and then we've started to embark upon the second week of games being played, then we're also not getting the second week. And I think people, you know, people would have gone absolutely nuts, especially. Teams, you know, writers that are covering teams with rookies, like let's say, you know, Cincinnati Bengals writers that wouldn't have gotten to see the All 22 for the first two weeks of Joe Burrow's career. I think that probably would have caused some some issues. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. A little bit of a different time because around this time we'll be switching over to LSU football pregame show at 12:30. We'll talk to you next week, man. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thanks as always for having me, man. Uh, take care and stay safe. All right, Ross, thank you so much for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson. Nola, if you aren't already, and seriously, if you're a Saints fan and you're not following him, what in the world are you doing? Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, come back, wrap up the show, one final take, and then I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Be back after this one final segment, one final take on 103.7 The Game on 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. One final segment, one final take to get us out of here, to send us on our way. And it's about the NBA. Haven't talked a stitch of basketball. Haven't bounced the ball not even once. But it's time to talk a little bit about it. And it's obviously the biggest thing of them all. And my take is this. The Lakers, they're sweeping the Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets, it's been a fun little run. Been a fun little ride. But the story, the Cinderella story is over. The clock is striking midnight. And what I saw last night was just a surefire way of saying Lakers in four. I'm calling it now. I am saying it right here, right now in 2020. Wake up. The show's over. Let's move on to what's next. And that's the NBA Finals. I think it's going to be the Heat and the Lakers. Both of them are going to sweep. And that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun of an NBA Finals. To wrap up the month of September, bleeding into October, whenever football or largely be fully into our lives but that's all i got for today's show hopefully you had a good time listening to it and in case you missed anything you can check it out on demand at 1037 game.com i'll have it up not long after i go off air and go grab some grub because your boy is hungry cajuns they're hungry to win a ball game they're to me they're a second half team trailing 14-7 second half about to start i'll be out of here be out of your hair Take it easy. Be back with you next Saturday. Same bad time, same bad channel with Under the Dome. But we'll be going from 11 to 1230. LSU going to bump us out a little bit. But don't you dare miss an episode of Under the Dome. Because if you miss one, you miss probably another great episode. So take it easy and take care. Talk to you next week. See you. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah.